This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There have certainly been moments, especially when my son was quite young, when I really felt that I've got my back against the wall in terms of mainly just sleep deprivation and kind of getting to a point where I just couldn't function. 33-year-old Imogen Alcorn is speaking out for all sole parents. The hardest part is doing it on your own, not being able to share the highs and lows with another adult. Nights where I, you know, would cry, like like he would be lying there crying because he was just an appalling sleeper and wake up and have tantrums in the middle of the night and or he was sick or something and I'd just be so exhausted by being kept up for most of the night, night after night, and then having to function he during the day. He is Imogen's son, Mania, yeah, I mean, born sure, when yeah, she was 29. But just not having that second person to turn around and be like, I actually can't do this anymore, I have to get some sleep. Not having that person and just lying there crying in front of your baby and or yelling at your kid and, and just in that moment of desperation, out of sheer exhaustion, and you just desperately need to have a break and you just can't. And I mean, when I got to that point, you know, that's probably when I would call my family and say, I can't, I can't do this, I need you to drop everything and come and get him, I just need to sleep. And, oh, bless them. If I hadn't have had that, I don't know how I would have got through those times. So, yeah, really just the exhaustion has been the biggest challenge. Welcome to Flying Solo, a series on what it takes to raise children on your own in New Zealand today. This is Imogen and Mania's story. My name is called Mania. Kia ora, Mania. How old are you? I don't know. <laughs> and where are we right now? In New Zealand. Yes, Imogen and Mania have recently left a flat in Newtown to move in with her dad. It's You're in your house. You're in, in Papa's Mum's house. house, yeah. And you're four. I'm four. Who can we hear? That's my granddad. I'm a social work student and I'm in my final year of a BSW through Massey. Um, I'm the mother of a beautiful four-year-old son, Mania, and we live out in York Bay, which is on the way to Eastbourne, near the harbour. Is that your snuggly, Monkey? His name is called Monkey. And what else is in your own bub? I've also got dinosaur pictures. <laughs> and you have your beautiful Tavaiwai that Mimi made. And you've got pictures. Born in Wellington, Imogen grew up in Island Bay, the third of four siblings whose parents remarried. Stats New Zealand say of the 200,000 sole parent families, about 85% are women. That's my nan and nan and that's me. That's when I was a little baby and that's Papa holding me. As a Pākehā, Imogen's one of the majority, but her son Mania is of Māori Cook Island heritage on his dad's side, something Imogen's proud of. 
Before Mania was born, Imogen separated from his father. And that's Koro. That's your granddad, Koro. Yeah. There's Mei Mei. Is that your nanny? She does her best to keep her son connected with his dad and that side of the family. She's the one that bought the Ninja Turtle covers because she's just the best Mei Mei and she buys you cool stuff whenever she comes over, eh? I've also got pictures of Mimi holding me in the eyes and Wawatonga. That, I have to say... Mania, that that Tavaivai is really beautiful. Can you describe it for our listeners? What does it look like? What's it got on it? It's got whale, yellow whale, yellow whale. It's got whales all over it, and it's dark blue and turquoise, and it's just beautiful. So a Tavaivai is a, a traditional bedspread. Yeah, Cook and, Island. And Cook Island bedspread. Traditional craft, yeah, craft, they're amazing. It's just gorgeous and it covers your whole wall it's really beautiful she's a very adoring grandmother she's only got one one grandchild so he gets lavished and all the aroa from the islands i bet lucky boy hello i'm andrew i'm mania's papa how's it going with your daughter and grandson He's the coolest. Uh, He's also the funniest. The... He's the coolest and the funniest. Why is... Papa flips me down. Flips <laughs> me upside down. It's going very well with money, as you can tell. It's great having Imogen around. We have a, a good relationship, but it is stressful having two generations in the same house. It's like, yeah. well, whose house is it? Oh, no, it's not my house. I've handed it over to you, so you make the decisions. Oh, Mitchell thinks, oh, no, it's not my house because, I, you know, it's, it's, it's Dad's house, so you know, yeah. there's a big, yeah. you know, cracks to fall through. Despite those potential cracks, for a lot of sole parents, living off a benefit while studying is a struggle and the reason for Imogen's move. We lived on Owen Street in a beautiful big old kind of ramshackle four-bedroom house with a big garden, just quite close to the zoo. And we were flatting? There. Yeah, we were flatting um, with a whole bunch of different people from when Mania was um, just before he turned one, like maybe ten months old, right through till a few months back, so three and a half years. Um, and had a whole bunch of different flatmates while we were living there, but it was... Yeah, that was our neighbourhood. We were pretty involved in the community. Went to play group there and, you know, hung out. We had lots of our close friends lived within, like, a block of us. So, yeah, it was a really lovely place to be when you're solo parenting a preschooler in Newtown because you can just walk out the door and you've got cafes, you've got the library, you've got play group, you've got op shops. It's pretty ideal. I'd, I'd still be in Newtown if I could afford to be in Newtown. And that's where our support network is, really. So it does feel awfully far away being out here. In Eastbourne. Why, why the move? I um, miss my little house. Yeah, you miss our house in Newtown too, eh? Um, the move, mainly because our rent went up, really. That was the main reason. And trying to fill the rest of the house was always quite a struggle because it wasn't like we were only filling one room. But it's just hard. It's hard to find people that you want living with your kid and it's hard to find people that will put up with living with your kid. <laughs> it's it's noisy and um, the house was noisy. There wasn't there was a lot of sound that came through so poor flatmates would get woken up first thing in the morning, in the middle of the night so it was always a bit of a tension to be honest, even if we were living with awesome people. So that kind of just wore me out a bit and then when our rent went up 
then I just sort of thought, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> yeah, so that's when that's when my um, dad said, look, I'm going away for a bit. Why don't you come rent my house while I'm away? How many bedrooms in here, Andrew? Depends how you count them. Uh, four or five. Four or five. So it's a big, sprawling, <laughs> gorgeous um, home. Yes. And how old's the house? Um, first built in 1946, and then it sort of grew every decade after that. So how long is, have you and your family been here? Um, about 14 years. 14 years. So Imogen was how old when... As a teenager, Imogen was raised by a sole parent, her mum, who had four kids to care for. And, uh, she was living with her mum at the time. So I bought this with my then partner, and then we separated. I kept the house. Um, and here we are. Here we are. And, and you've got Farnau has moved back in again. That, that's right, now the Farnau have arrived. As Mania plays with his own Transformer cardboard creations, Imogen makes soup in the kitchen. Mania was born in 2012, the year of the water dragon. We like to call him a little Tanifa. And a Tanifa he is. Very auspicious year, I think. Fierce children, but apparently wonderful adults that look after their parents. That's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> Are we going upstairs, Bob? For our listeners, we'll start with the trucky truck Odon. It's really interesting with Mania's generation that there's a lot of um, marriage into, into Māori ethnicity. So, like, his dad is Māori Cook Islands, Pākehā. Um, but it's the same with a lot of his cousins. Um, so a lot of my nieces and nephews are marrying Māori people. There seems to be quite a trend in that direction. Yes. yes so a lot of the great-grandchildren, thinking of my mum, have uh, got Māori ancestry. So we're back in the kitchen. Because I'm going to make some soup to take over to Jessie and Mother's lunch. Good yum, yum, scrum, scrum, scrum. Okay. What are you cooking up at the moment? Some pretty simple soup, pumpkin, kumara, parsnip, spices, coconut cream. And where are you off to after this? Um, we're going to go have lunch with friends of ours in Newtown who we're really missing since we've moved out to York Bay. Jessie and Mara and their two little girls, Kahuya and Eddie Hapati. Um, we used to spend a lot of time in and out of each other's houses because they lived just around the corner. And um, now that we're living on the other side of the city, we're not seeing them as much anymore, so it'll be lovely to catch up. Jessie and Mara have been really, really one of the many wonderful friends I have who are super supportive and do heaps of sort of last-minute childcare when I've got hand-ins or I'm sick or something's going on. So, yeah... They're part of our amazing extended whanau who help us out, feed us when we haven't got any food. And <laughs> have you moments when you don't have food? Um, Where it's really, really Occasionally, yeah, there definitely have been over the last few years. There's definitely been some Tuesdays before payday where it's a little bit like, oh. Payday? That's the benefit. One of our friends' houses. Yeah, there's definitely been some hairy moments. Imogen, list for me all of the food that you can't eat. So... Uh, we can't eat gluten and we can't eat dairy and Mania probably isn't that great on salicylates although we haven't had it tested yet. That's the acid in, in some fruits. Yeah, it's something that I had when I was little so it's not really like a 
bourgeois lifestyle choice that's more like I just can't process it at all. So that's hard because gluten-free bread costs twice as much and so yeah it's expensive. I do get a little bit of extra money from wins for that which is awesome but I have to reapply for it constantly even though it's a lifelong condition. And Imogen Soup is brought to lunch at Jessie and Mara TK's home in Newtown. Mara's a musician and away touring with his band Electric Wire Hustle. My name is Jessie, I'm Imogen's friend and we're having a lunch and I'm um, cooking some quite strange pancakes. They look very cool. I've got two batches on the go. One batch is gluten-free, dairy-free and one is dairy-free but I put yesterday's porridge in them so they're quite strange. Hiri hapati. Hiri hapati. Kahuya. Kahuya. And mania. Iri Hapati, how old are you? Um, she's two. Two? And how old are you, love? Um, seven. Seven. Da da! Hello, hi, Mania. Wow! Oh, As the three children play and squabble, Jessie and Imogen reflect on the difference between sole parents and how much things haven't changed. They sort of fight a bit like siblings. <laughs> but it's also been good for Mania. Yeah, being so being to look after. Yeah, being an only child, it's really good for him to have other kids to hang out with on a regular basis. <laughs> auntie, Imogen is officially auntie. So, how did you guys meet, and how long have you known each other? Mm. I suppose we're both. Oh, you're not actually from Wellington, but you've been in Wellington so long. I think we did meet when we were in old school, from teenage years almost. We did meet when we were eighteen. Yeah, and then we kind of reconnected when I had my near really. So um, these guys were over in Berlin for a while and then you came back, not not long. And you were up in Auckland? Yeah, and I was up in Auckland and then I came back, had baby, and, mm. and you were the first person at the hospital carrying my screaming, poor screaming newborn around the halls and making him sleep. Yeah. what we can do. Uh, is there stigma attached to being a solo mum? Yeah, I guess in, in a way, and also it's like completely um, accepted and expected in a way. Like it's not shocking or different or unexpected if a woman becomes a solo mother but the other way around it does like if a father becomes the one who looks after the children all the time it's quite exceptional I think they get treated you get treated differently because women are expected to be the primary caregiver and the one who takes time off work and the one who does all the housework anyway it's expected and therefore if you if the chips fall that way that you end up doing that full time or 90 or 80 percent of the time that's just natural, that's just the way it is. Whereas if a man does it, it's like, oh my goodness. He's a bit oh, of a hero. a hero. Yeah. Or even if a man's just the stay-at-home parent. Yeah. Even if they're... Or even couple. if he just has his kid on the weekend and is seen out and about with his kid, everyone's like, oh my goodness, you're the best dad in the world. Yeah. <laughs> you had them for five minutes fun and dad. you took them to a fair. Yeah, fun dad. Fun weekend dad. Fun weekend dad. Yeah. <laughs> There's not much glamour in being that not fun weekday, no. 80% mum really. It's not very glamorous. Yeah, and people I've, don't get all up in arms and like, "Wow, you're so amazing." Yeah. They're just like, "Oh yeah." T- tell me your thoughts on inequity around solo parenting. Mm. There's so many intersecting things that happen when you're solo parenting. There's the practical point of view, where you're doing physically and practically taking care of a majority of everything, and then you have the financial kind of inequity of trying to make family life work on 
half an income or on a benefit, which just doesn't add up at all. Yeah, so that's massive. And renting is the hardest it's ever been and sort of my whole life I've never seen a rental market like this and at the moment sort of our struggle is trying to find somewhere to live where we're still in kind of a reasonable distance from our support network so realistically I can't afford to pay more than $300 a week in rent that's two thirds of my benefit and even then I can't afford that actually to be honest um, but if I start working part-time once this degree's finished, so I've got my last paper that I'm doing at the moment, and then I'll be looking to get as much work as I can fit within school hours. And the work will be in social work? Yeah, right? yeah. So ideally it'll be entry-level social work position, and I'll be doing my hours to get registration. Whereabouts will you want to work? Um, I'm really open-minded at the moment, but I would love to work with other sole parent families and just generally parents and children, teenagers worked in the sexual violence sector, I've worked in youth work, I've worked in mental health. Um, yeah, all of those things are really interesting to me and at this point I'm pretty open. So you always thought of Imogen Jess as a solo parent from the get-go? Yeah, Why, well, from, from very early on. Um, just with all the ins and outs and problems within relationships, I think, mm. that everything fell back on her. To be yeah, fair... Which is quite... I... A common yeah. has been with all the friends I have who have since separated. That was always a feature for the kind of in the two years or so in the lead up. I think yeah, that sort of slow pulling apart from each other. Yeah. And I think that it generally falls back on the if the, if it's a heterosexual relationship it seems to always fall back on the mum who kind of picks up all the parenting. So I've always kind of thought of you as a single solo parent. Yeah, to be fair, we had separated. We separated, so my near's dad and I separated about six, eight months before I actually got pregnant. Mm. So we'd separated, I'd moved to Auckland, you know, I was grieving the relationship, we'd been together for years, finally, like, put a line in the sand and gone, no, this is really unhealthy, it's over, and then came back for Christmas to see my family, and then bumped into each other at a gig, I think, on Christmas night, and then... Hang out for a couple of days, just long enough to get pregnant. So from the get-go, we went, you know, when I found out I was pregnant, we were, like, at the end of being, like, this will definitely never, ever work, and it's not good. So mm-hmm. that was the place that we had to start from when we found out I was pregnant. So it was always going to be tricky. You know, we had pretty different lifestyles, so it had always been kind of challenging in places. Yeah, but there's always, you know, there's always been lots of love there too. Lots of love, but really different expectations about stuff and, and lots of things that we butt heads over. But, um, yeah, at the moment, he's seeing his dad regularly every weekend and, and we're getting on pretty well, which is awesome. And I'm, It's taken a good few years to get to that place. <laughs> um, and at the moment, I'm just happy that they're spending time with each other and I feel like, to be honest, I have bent over backwards to facilitate that relationship being a constant part in my new life and at times that has been that has meant sacrificing my own needs and I think that's one of the hardest things about separating is taking your own feelings about the separation out of it and just being like no we need to respect the kid in their relationship with their family and never say anything and the other parent and the other parent and respect the other parent you know and like we agreed when we sort of were things were bad, we agreed that we wouldn't ever 
say anything negative about the other person in front of the kids, you know, and not ever kind of... Because, you know, if you say something horrible about, oh, your dad's this, your dad's that, you're actually cutting their own identity. That's part of them. That's part of their... Mm. Spiritual self. It's hard for so them to understand, like if you're saying yeah. on one, one hand, oh, they're this or they're that, and then the next day, you're like, okay, off you go. It's your, you know, it's your weekend with them. They'll be thinking, but you just said this, and yeah. why would you send, you know? So it's like so confusing for them. Yeah. And I think that's paid off because he loves going over to his dad's house. Yeah, and and you know, it's cool. Yeah, because at the end of the day, your relationship with Mania and his with his father is quite it's separate, separate from your relationship. Yeah. Together, yeah. You have to keep those feelings separate. I'm really proud of that, actually. It's Mm. been so hard. (laughs) But it's been, yeah, it's really important to me. Who's who's this, Mania? This is my nana, who was in my pictures. After lunch, Imogen and Mania are off to Island Bay to Nana's place, another person who's helped keep Imogen sane. Yes. My name is Robin, I'm Imogen's mum, um, and I'm a community worker, yeah, as well as being a, mo- a mother and a grandmother. And a mother and grandmother over quite a large extended family, um, which includes um, not only my own children and grandchildren, but my partner's children and grandchildren as well. And across that, there are um, parents who are married and parents who are not. Yeah, so They're walking the talk, like mother, like daughter. Imogen's keen interest in social work was inspired by Robin's own soul parenting and community work. And what they find is that social attitudes only make it harder for those flying solo. There's a double standard. And I think, you know, for, me, for me, the way I would sum it up would be to say, you know, if people are married with a family, they've got a lot more margin in every way. But in terms of just their dignity, in terms of their mana, really, you know, you can let your kids, I don't know, go out down to the supermarket in dirty clothes or have a snotty face or whatever, and everyone just thinks, oh, they're really busy, you know? But if you're parenting by yourself, it's like people are watching you all the time. And that's something which often my clients say too, because I'm a community worker. And there's a sense that your kids have to be twice as well-mannered, well-presented, well-dressed, twice as little trouble um, as, you know, as the parents, you know, as the kids of parents who are married. And I think that just that day-to-day thing that people carry on top of worrying about money, on top of trying to be um, two people all rolled up into one, you know, a person bringing home the money, the person doing all the parenting, the person who wants to do the mothering, you know, in the way that maybe they remember mothering to be done, you know, um, and trying to do that despite exhaustion uh, and and worry, um, and of course it's just it's just so much worse now because uh, it's so much harder to make a living now. Yeah, and we're in a gig economy, um, and it's just really hard to get the right kind of job. Yeah, so those are my immediate thoughts. You're seeing this in, in within your own daughters. Yeah. I have so much admiration for what Imogen is doing, you know, and for. And all the women who are like her, really, Imogen's trying to study and make a home and parent in a really dedicated way and make education choices and, um, and you know, make the same parenting choices every day that all parents do, but to do it often in isolation and without physical backup, you know, so all those 2am wake-ups and, you know, 5am start the day, whatever, has to be managed with just one person. 
And Imogen's really lucky because she's got a, a good supportive family and um, awesome yeah, and awesome friends. Amazing family and friends. I yeah. keep saying that over and over again, but really is the difference between making it work and it being extremely yeah, impossible, impossible and grim and awful. They have a message for the Deputy Prime Minister, herself a solo mum. The dream is over, the Paula Bennett's. <laughs> oh, I was just thesis. thinking about this um, thesis that I was reading recently on solo parenting and she quoted this part of um, Paula Bennett's speech when she was releasing, I think it's the Future Focus Bill, I can't remember if it was 2010 or 2013. Anyway, they put in a whole lot of new welfare restrictions and... Um, change the welfare scene. Because there's this perception mums. that solo mums are out there. Um, yeah, making an easy lifestyle choice. Yeah, so it was like she was saying, the dream is over, we're going to crack down on you now, as if, as if before that, solo parents had this dream-like lifestyle where they were sitting around with their feet up, spending the government's money on this, that and the other thing, having this luxurious lifestyle where they didn't have to work and they just popped out another baby if they felt a bit short of money and then got all rolling in it. And I think that's um, it's really interesting that that's still a, a kind of part of our cultural narrative as a society that, um, yeah, that thing about ben beneficiaries are taking the piss, basically, and that they're, um, they're getting... Money for nothing, and, and there's still very much a feeling, I think, especially around solo mums, that you know they should be extremely grateful that the government's giving them all this money so, so they don't have to work and that they don't want to go back to work and they're a burden on society. And um, you just still hear that a lot. And I don't know anyone, I don't know anyone who enjoys living on Neither a benefit. <laughs> And I've never met this person, I've never met this mum who's like, yay, it's so much fun living on zero dollars a week so I don't have to work and I get to stay with my kids. Like, it's insane. Anyone who thinks that should spend five minutes with a solo parent and see what their life is actually like. No one would want that for themselves. No one would want that for their kids. I've never met anyone who has that attitude towards being on welfare. It's, it's not a fun time. Linda Chanwai Earl Aho, and you've been listening to Flying Solo, engineered by RNZ's Phil Benj, and thanks to Mara Tike and the Electric Wire Hustle for their music. In the final episode of Flying Solo next week, she was pregnant at 13. We meet teenage solo mum and junior sporting champ Rian, her toddler Brayden, and Rian's extended Fano, who've embraced their mokapuna. You can find us on iTunes or check out our webpage at radionz.co.nz forward slash flying solo. Mm -hmm.